Welcome to The Word at First Pres. During Lent, we are doing a sermon series called Parables of Jesus, where we examine various parables that Jesus taught during his ministry. The goal of this series is to examine the messages from these parables and how they are asking us to change internally through our spirituality and externally through our behaviors. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idly all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading continues from our first, from Matthew 20, verses 8 through 16. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers to give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired at five o'clock came, each of them received the usual day wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During the season of Lent, we are doing a sermon series entitled Parables of Jesus. A parable is a story that is told with an explicit purpose of illustrating a moral or spiritual lesson. The beauty of parables is that if they are told well, they convey a deep truth to the hearer. Through Jesus' parables, we will be able to learn more about Jesus' intentions for our lives by drawing on the lessons derived from his parables. And to pose the question, how are these parables asking us to live differently both internally or spiritually and externally? through our actions. Last week, Alex spoke about the parable of the sower, and this week, I'm going to be talking about the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But before I do that, I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain. Alex had this whole sermon series mapped out, and then he asked Judy and I to be a part of it. We each were to pick one sermon in the series to preach because he had heard that some of you like to hear us preach every once in a while. So to those who emailed him about this, I owe you that $5.
But for those of you who know Alex, you know that having it mapped out doesn't just mean that he had the topics picked out or the scriptures picked out, but having the sermon series mapped out means that he had half a sermon written for every single week. So when I chose this particular parable, he sent me his short 500-word blurb that he had already written about this. I usually work better with a conversation partner anyway, so I'm actually going to use some of what he said and expand on it. So if I reference Alex's thoughts on this particular parable, that is what I'm talking about and why. This parable is such a difficult one for the hearers, both in Jesus' time and now. We see what happens as some injustice. Allow me to recap. Early in the morning, an owner of a vineyard hired a group of workers for the day, and he agreed to pay them a day's wage. Later that morning, he hired more people because there was a lot of work. Around noon, he hired even more, and at five o'clock, he hired even more. Once the workday was over, he paid everyone a day's wage, even those who only worked for an hour. The workers who felt very that this was very unfair were the workers who worked all day. And the owner said to them, did I do something wrong by you? I told you that I'd pay you a day's wage, and I did. Essentially, the landowner said, think of the story like this. Early in the morning, the owner of a vineyard hired a group of workers for the day and agreed to pay them a day's wage. Once the workday was over, he paid everyone a day's wage. Why does what happens in between these two things change the feeling at the end of the story? In order to get into that, we need to first get into the different layers of the story, and there are several. Classically, this story is interpreted, as Alex puts it, as a last-minute confession of a mafia leader before they die coming to the priest and confessing their sins so that they can get into heaven. And if this is a real thing that happens, then I think I would feel a little twinge in my heart about it, as I'm sure a bunch of other Christians would too. I work hard at being a Christian. It's not easy. It's so much simpler to write people off or cuss them out or flip the car off behind you because they're being a jerk or to hold on to grudges than to do the things that Jesus teaches us. So if I've put in 35 plus years into this and, and I see someone else use what essentially amounts to a get out of jail free card and not really have to do any of the hard work, then suddenly I feel cheated. I feel slighted. I feel like this is unjust. Unfortunately though, this is a sign of my own selfishness and skewed perspective. I don't want to steal anyone's thunder for next week, but they're talking about the lost coin and the lost sheep, and about how much rejoicing there is when one of those lost things are found. My perspective is based on me focusing on what I did versus what they did. Instead of being focused on them and being found and rejoicing in that. 
My perspective is also based on this idea that they've pulled one over on God somehow, instead of God being radically gracious and merciful. My perspective also forgets all of the times I, for a lack of a better metaphor, have slacked off on the job, sat down and stopped picking grapes or olives, or took a quick hour-long siesta, or chatted with my fellow workers about that one show on Netflix or HBO instead of working. I may have been in the vineyard, yes, but that doesn't mean that I worked perfectly for that entire time. Instead, I just have a feeling of superiority to those who came later in the vineyard because I've been there longer. Instead, I should join in on the rejoicing over another person joining the ranks. Stop focusing on myself and accept that God's graciousness is for all, not just for me. Now, to go to a deeper layer, we have to start back at the original layer. Those who don't work as long are rewarded with the same day's wage as those who work the full day, which we see as grossly unfair. We have been taught throughout our childhood, adolescent, and adult lives that hard work pays off. And thus, if you don't work as hard, you shouldn't make as much. Alex brought up an interesting point, though, in his blurb that he sent me. I quote, something that this parable really doesn't highlight is the question of opportunity. What exactly did the workers hired at the end of the day not have? Why exactly did the workers hired at the end of the day not have the opportunity to work until that point? End quote. Our assumption is that it has something to do with laziness. We hear about workers still not working at noon, getting hired, and then some still not working at 5 p.m. and then getting hired. Our default setting is that they must not have been trying hard enough. They must have been not pulling at their bootstraps enough. They must not really care if they don't get a day's wage. They're just lazy, and that's why they are where they are. Whereas this may sometimes be true, in a lot of situations, it's not. Maybe the workers had kids that they had to take care of, or an elderly parent that needed them. Perhaps they were working an overnight shift that didn't end until 10 a.m. We don't know. Likewise, when we hear people lambast those who are on food stamps or other government programs because they see them as lazy, we don't know their whole story either. There is a well-known theory of socioeconomics called the Boots Theory, which was written in a piece of dialogue from the book Men at Arms by Terry Pratchett. The novel features a city watch commander named Captain Samuel Vimes, who often ruminates about the differences between rich and poor. Here's what it says. Take Boots, for example. He earned $38 a month plus allowances. A really good pair of leather boots cost $50. But an affordable pair of boots, which were sort of okay for a season or two, and then leaked like hell when the cardboard gave out, cost about $10. Those were the kinds of boots Vimes always bought. 
and war until the soles were so thin that he could tell where he was on a foggy night by the feel of the cobbles. But the thing was that good boots lasted for years and years. A man who could afford $50 had a pair of boots that he'd still be keeping his feet dry in 10 years' time, while the poor man who could only afford cheap boots would have spent $100 on boots in the same time and would still have wet feet. This seems easy enough to understand, but also easy enough to dismiss if all other aspects of opportunity weren't to be considered. Having transportation to and from a job or the grocery store or school, having acceptable clothes, being able to wash those clothes and yourself regularly, and so much more. Any of these things taken and expanded upon can show how much opportunity is being overlooked, not just in our parable, but our everyday assumptions of those who work less and earn less. I think the final level that I want to talk about today is about worth. At the heart of this parable, it asks us to consider what we think makes someone worthy. Because ultimately, that's the issue that we have with the perceived injustice at the end. That the workers who worked only a couple of hours weren't worthy of the same pay as those who worked the whole day. And this is where I want to get slightly controversial. I think that our society, and specifically capitalism, has sold us a bill of goods. And that bill of goods is that we are each only as worthy as our work. In order to matter, we have to do. We have to create or labor or tend or sweat and strain. We have to earn our keep. We have to pull our weight. We have to relentlessly earn ourselves and our bosses and our country money. This is what we're told gives our lives value. And if we're looking at it from a strictly capitalistic or corporation point of view, it's not wrong. A person is only as good as the amount of income that they can generate and then, through spending, put that money back into the economy. But what if someone can't work? Whether it's because they don't have the skill set or they don't have reliable transportation or because they've aged out or because they are physically or mentally unable, what then is their worth? Instead, Christianity tells us that we are worthy based not on how much money we make or are able to put back into the economy, but because we are human. We are made in God's image. We are children of the Creator. Our worth is tied solely and completely to God. Nothing else makes us worth more or less. You are not worth more because your bank account is. This is a fairly easy thing for us to understand when we put it into a personal perspective. Bill Gates is no more worthy than you. He is worth more, as in wealthier than you, but he is not worth more as a human than you. Jeff Bezos is not worth more than you. When we hear this, we think, well, of course not. I don't believe that. 
but we start to run into problems again when we slightly turn the tables. Imagine, if you will, someone who looks like Alex, in the parking lot, suit on, flagging you down. He says, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you, but my car broke down, and I'm looking for some money to get home. Do you have money that I could borrow for the train? I need to get home. How likely are you to give that person money? I'd expect you'd be fairly likely. Now imagine, if you will, someone who looks like they are experiencing homelessness. Imagine they come up to you and ask you the same question. How likely are you to give them money? I'd expect slightly less. And in fact, studies are on my side. We as a people are more likely to give money or give aid to someone who looks like they're more put together. Someone who looks like they're not just downtrodden, but just down on their luck a little bit that day. But for the most part, they still have an expendable income. What does it say about us as a country that we are less likely to give money to someone who looks like they have more need. And I hear some of you already. How do I know that they'll use that money for the train? They might just be trying to get money for drugs or alcohol. My question to you is, did any of you ask that about the man in the suit? If not, why not? Wouldn't he just be as likely to be lying? After all, men in suits do drugs and alcohol too, and some with greater frequency than anyone experiencing homelessness. This hypothetical and yet very real example serves to underscore my point of worth. We are more likely to give the man in the suit money or aid because we see him as worthy of our help. Whether we say it out loud or not, we see him as a productive member of society who just hit a snag and soon will be back to his life and his work and thus prove his worth. Whereas the person experiencing homelessness, we think, isn't a productive member of society and thus would just spend that money and then need more tomorrow, and so they are worse, worth less. Our scripture today throws this in our face to deeply consider. The workers at the end of the day work significantly less than those who were there all day, and yet the landowner sees them as worthy of a full day's wage. When the full day workers complain that they worked harder and deserve more, the landowner says, no, they are worthy. When we complain about people not pulling their weight, God says, no, they are worthy. When we yell about lazy people on welfare without getting to know anyone in that situation, God says, no, they are worthy. When we think less of people who live in Section 8 housing for their whole lives, God says, no, they are worthy. When we put down immigrants coming to our country because they didn't happen to be born on this plot of land, but that plot of land, God says, no, they are worthy. And if we want to follow this God, the God who calls all worthy, the God who pays all workers the same, the God who says that you are worthy because I say you are worthy. If we want to follow that God, then we have to start looking through different eyes. We have to start seeing everyone 
and everyone's worth, not based on what they earn or how much they work, but on the mere fact that they are human. Otherwise, we are serving capitalism and not God. Capitalism says you must earn everything, including your worth. And God says, no, you are already worthy. Let us see with God's eyes into the world. Treat everyone with the same worth, knowing that God's love and grace and mercy are free-flowing and radically inclusive, and allowing that to shape how we interact with everyone we meet. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.